right, everybody, welcome to a bonus episode of the Use Guys in That podcast. I have a good friend of mine with us today. Uh, first, shout out to agorasnexus.com and Vandalay Industries, premier sponsors of the Use Guys in That podcast. Now, of course, you, I need no introduction to my friend. He's been on the show multiple times. Uh, he's a dear friend of the show, a friend of mine, a friend of uh, all of us here, uh, Riley from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, we did a couple of episodes. One of them, one of my favorites, of course, was about recycling and how like it's a racket. But this time we're talking about an entirely different racket. And that's the racket of the state infringing upon the rights of Oregonians in this particular case. What we're talking about today is measure 114. And this is a ballot measure. Now, what's funny about this is, I mean, again, if we're going to play the game and these votes are legitimate or what have you, or they were counted, let's say, if you look at the county breakdown, Riley, I'm looking at it. It's only six counties in the entire state that voted in favor of it. And the rest of the counties were like, no. And it wasn't like a massive landslide. It was 50.7 to 49.2, which is not, um, not, not a wide margin of victory whatsoever under any definition. Uh, and just to be clear, I believe uh, our guest and I agree on the same thing, which is all gun laws are infringements and violation of individual rights. That being said, let's take a look at what some of the and again, if I miss anything, please jump in and let me know if I've missed something. So this measure uh, was, quote, approved by the voters, which the voting on your rights is is absolutely preposterous to begin with. But we're going to roll with it. So they they wanted to institute a permit. So you have to pay, I think, was it $65 and you have to buy it from the county sheriff or the local uh, fuzz where you live. And then they're issued per person, not by the gun. They're valid for quote five years. And then law enforcement has the ability to deny a permit to those they believe to be a danger to themselves or others. While uh, uh, those denied a permit are able to appeal in court. Good luck to you. Um, there's a similar, there's a couple of different requirements. I know that, uh, the communist, uh, I guess occupied state of New Jersey has something similar called pistol permit where it's per pistol. You have to ask permission and pay, uh, you know, to have it. And of course it's registered and all this other stuff. So 10 round magazine. Okay. Uh, no more than 10, 10 rounds, which, of course, I could hear my friend Christopher laughing his ass off right now because we believe in standard capacity, which is about 16 <laughs> rounds and above. Um, existing magazines that can hold more than 10 rounds would be grandfathered in, but could only be used on private property, not for concealed carry. So when you're out there defending yourself or your family from some son of a bitch on the street, let's say you're walking down one of the many streets of Portland and somebody attacks you, good luck to you with your 10 rounds. And if 2020 showed us anything, Riley, it's 10 rounds may not be enough in certain circumstances. <clears throat> Absolutely. So, and, and the go. 10 rounds, there's no one in the head now either. So you're always one round short and you have the delayed time of, of reaction because now you have to draw your weapon. If your weapon has a slide on it. You have to go through all the procedures there. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, that people be, would be surprised. We did a drill not too long ago. Uh, where, you know, for when I first started carrying, I was nervous about having one in the chamber. Okay. And uh, my friend, uh, big business did a drill with me. He did the 22 foot, you know, the 22 foot rule, like what is supposed to be legally within your right to defend yourself. Yep. He's like, I'm going to close the distance 22 feet. And of course we checked the weapons to make sure everything was clear. And he goes, I want you to, I want you to draw chamber and begin and put it into a firing position before I could get the gun up to chest level. He was right on top of me. You will be surprised how fast somebody can close distance with you. And this is under controlled circumstances where I know what's going to happen. You know what I mean? This is a drill, not adrenaline flowing, not two people attacking me. It's one person conducting a drill with me. Absolutely. It's not Grand Avenue in downtown Portland with some guy who's high on whatever. Right, exactly. Which I don't know how people can live that way, but that's that's entirely up to them. Now, there's been some pushback on this. A federal judge, we talked about it on the show, and I thought of you instantly when, of course, anytime Oregon comes up, I think of you instantly. But we uh, there's a stay 
the, the judge uh, is, uh, there's a judge that's holding it up. However, uh, there's also, I, I, to my surprise, some law enforcement individuals who are refusing to enforce the order. That's always a good thing. Uh, we got to take small victories where we can get them, certainly. However, if let's get into discussion how one could potentially subvert this if we're going to use this in the context of, in the scope of the law and the scope of what's moral. How could one subvert these gun control measures, these infringements on individual rights and your personal safety? I want you, if you wouldn't mind, talk to us about what potentially could be done to get around this and subvert. So one thing you can do and something our good friend Sal the Agorist has put us on for years is make that 3D printer go burr. Uh, take the power of manufacturing back into your own hands while it's still a federally protected right. Um, you're allowed to, to make firearms within your own home. I will say uh, each state, and depending on how many listeners you have across the globe, have all sorts of different rules. Please do extensive research into the laws where you live <clears throat> so you don't get that 3 a.m. knock on the door that we all dread. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So the uh, once this once this measure passed, I knew there was going to be some holdup in the courts. There, people already had um, you, you know um, injunctions fought, f filled out. They were just waiting for the ballot measure to actually be approved first. Uh, so right when that happened, I went ahead and picked up a couple Ender Three Pros uh, off Amazon. They're less than three hundred bucks a piece. Um, took less than an hour to put those guys together, <clears throat> did the extensive research for my state. And back in 2018, um, the attorney general for Oregon tried to file or tried to make a law that you can't share uh, 3D gun files, um, saying that was the same thing as distributing firearms. So, oh, OK, yeah, that, that that's that's a whole nother discussion right there. But that eventually uh, it was knocked down uh, of course 3d files it's just code so there's no difference between a code for a an app and a code for you know some some software for your 3d printer absolutely now yeah. here's the next question i have before we move on perhaps some of our listeners are thinking about this and we do have a wide audience we have you know, I like to say hi to our listeners in Australia. We have some in New Zealand. Uh, we got a, we picked up a new listener in South Africa, and uh, we've got folks in India. We've got folks all over Europe. So maybe not the most gun friendly environments in the world, let's to say the least. Absolutely. Uh, however, I know what some questions are going to be, and they have been presented for a long time now, even in the face of advanced technology, which is always going to be marching forward and making things better for the freedom movement, for individuals. A lot of people are going to say, yeah, Jay, Riley, really, though, how effective are these weapons? And, and you know, of course, I want you to, to attest to this yourself, what you know. But what I see all the time, I don't know if you remember, I've recommended Popular Front as one of the accounts on Instagram, and I'm sure that you're familiar with it. If you follow that account, they, right now in Myanmar, they're openly using, like, I mean, we're, we're talking about 3D printed weapons fighting government forces, the junta, I mean, and effectively taking care of them. And, and we see it all the time. Like, it is just getting better and better. But in your opinion, in your experience, how is the technology marching forward? How do you feel it is improving uh, for individuals, like as far as, you know, reliability, let's say? <clears throat> so there's been some pretty neat individuals who've entered the, uh, it's called the 3D2A community. And some of these guys are uh, engineers. Um, some of them are gunsmiths that got interested in the uh, the 3D printing side of things because it's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of interesting. Yep. <clears throat> Sorry. No, that's, you're all right. A little background noise. That's okay. Um, so the, the technology in the past couple of years has dramatically improved after the uh, documentary that Popular Front released called Plastic Defense. And if anyone has, I think it's 28 minutes to kill, uh, mm -hmm. it's definitely worth looking into. 
So after the release of that, uh, it, it, there's just been a boom in, in different manufacturers, different file creators. Uh, the reliability aspect of these things is on par with factory made firearms. Uh, wow. the, the one that I made was a uh, Glock 19 replica, uh, printed the frame. You have to order all of the components individually. Uh, UPS, FedEx, they are put a ban on shipping um, one box kits, has like the jigs, the triggers, the slide, right. all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So after you part it together, uh, always take proper safety pr protocols when you're test firing these weapons. Um, we, we, I got a vice together, uh, did the whole string method, did 10 rounds through it without an issue, no, no malfunctions whatsoever. Awesome. Uh, since then, put about 250 rounds through it. Uh, I think I had one failure to feed issue. Uh, okay. that's, that's pretty common. I mean, even factory locks out of the box will have those issues for the first couple hundred rounds. Um, a buddy of mine, he put together a polymer 80 build and he, he went a little bit more on the expensive route and we were kind of comparing them a couple weeks ago and his, his build was inferior to mine. Wow. Well, I'm impressed. And let me ask you this when we're talking about failure to feed, does this, I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, my uh, glorious motherland of Ohio is famous for one particular uh, firearms manufacturer that everybody knows what it is. And it's high point, the finest in the Midwest. Absolutely. Um, uh, <laughs> hey, I, 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 I don't listen to the guys who shit on high point, man. They're tried and true and they wouldn't have a name if, you know, if they were just bricks. You know what's funny about that? Like back in the day, I took a concealed carry uh, class in order to uh, take the written test. You had to qualify, actually qualified with a high point nine millimeter. Now, here's the thing. You you could not run hollow points through it. Absolutely would not eat them. Uh, it was stovepipe on you every single time. So, I mean, of course, I moved on from that and upgraded since then several times. Um, however, if that's the difference between you being able to defend yourself and not being able to defend yourself, $200 is still, you know, better than having a knife if somebody's trying to come and hurt you. With that being said, um, failure to fire, like you said, is common. Do you recommend folks use a particular type of, uh, cartridge? Like, uh, do you, what, did you run Winchesters through them federal, like, or do you, um, is there a particular load that you feel is a little bit better for test firing these, uh, weapons that are created? So I just, I threw the box away. I have some, I have some of the federal home defense hollow points. I think they're 125 grain. Um, and those things pack a punch. I have, uh, a factory made Glock 19 that typically I, I would carry. Uh, for the test firing on this gun, I just went with some range ammunition that had a little bit lower grain count. Right on. Yeah, just in case there's anything catastrophic that's going to happen, you know, minimize the risk. With these, uh, like with, with the Glock style guns, uh, as the slide comes back and the gas is ejected out, um through your side port mm -hmm. uh, there's not a whole lot of catastrophic events that can happen on those frames um i did a lot of online research and there didn't seem like there was a whole lot blowing up in people's hands unless they were using the wrong type of filament which pla plus don't go anything lower than that and if you're a more skilled 3D craftsman, you can start looking into the, I think it's um, carbon fiber infused nylon and ABS. So there's there's a lot stronger materials and um, 3D resin, resin printing is also making some pretty cool advancements too. So it's a lot more accurate and a lot quicker than traditional 3D printing with filament. Okay. Uh, this is great information for those that are interested, and I'm sure that our audience, uh, there are quite a few folks that are interested, especially those behind enemy lines, yeah. not only in uh, here in this uh, in this country, but across the planet when, you know, I, I it actually makes me quite happy to see folks like I, I love the, the videos in Myanmar where individuals are printing these weapons and taking on government forces. I mean, now granted, they haven't started using F-15s on their own people like we've been threatened with three times now, 
Um, but, um, you know, yes, that effectiveness, perhaps, yes, against a, a 3D printed Glock, that might be a, an issue for some of us. But when we're talking about personal defense, we're yeah. talking about defending yourself, uh, your family and your, and your property. You know, we're not talking about open rebellion and revolution, although it is good to see it being tested in those environments, too. Not to mention the climate, you know, because it's not exactly the driest, coldest place on the planet. It's quite warm. So there's a lot of uh, environmental factors that could begin to impact builds. And we're seeing them being used effectively. Now, take me through, if you wouldn't mind, currently, how long would a build take from once you an individual acquires all of the parts, all of the components? How long does it take from gathering? Okay, we have all of our stuff, print, test, and I guess added to the arsenal. So if your if your print settings are dialed in, um, the print on that frame in the video that I posted took about twenty four hours. If you pre-order, like if you know that you're going to print this frame and you go ahead and pre-order your rails, uh, your upper and your lower kit and stuff like that, and you have it available, uh, it just depends on how, you know, how quick you are. It took me about an hour to get mine put together. Nice. Yeah. It's real and, nice. And after that, it was pulling out some, you know, ammo out of the safe and taking a walk down the backyard and throwing that thing in the safe and cracking it off. That's uh, I love to hear that. I, I think that that's fantastic. And that's, um, you know, for your own, you know, for manufacturing on, you know, one on your own is just, I mean, what a wonderful time to be alive. You know, oh, I mean? it's, it's, it's reminiscent of, you know, the forefathers back in the day with, with muskets and stuff like, you know, they were absolutely, they were whittling their own stocks and they were, you know, hammering out their own iron and stuff. And this is none of the same or none of the different. You know, what I think is great about this is eventually we're going to get to the point where 3d printing, perhaps uh, steel is going to get to an affordable point where you will be your own blacksmith. You will be your own manufacturer completely Absolutely. Uh, it's so exciting to see it. And I love to see folks uh, such as yourself at the forefront. And I love the video that uh, I did. I did read some of the comments about, you know what I mean? Like some people being you know, a little bit uh, concerned or like, oh, well, you're not going to blow up in your hand or this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, listen, guy, you know what? Like, you're not going to post a video where you're potentially going to blow yourself up for Christ's sake. I mean, let's pump the brakes. A yeah, no, on that. I'll, I'll save that for the bloopers. You can pay me for that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, a little, little side note, though, the, like you said, the power of manufacturing, even if you're not, you know, you don't want to go down the route of making firearms and stuff there it the possibilities are unlimited uh the 3d printing community has a lot of websites where uh, files are open source mm -hmm. you have the option to tip these people and you know you can tip them in cash you can tip them in crypto if you find value in what they're giving you they they're just asking that you don't take their product and mass produce it and start marketing and making money on it so, for example, I made some uh, 20 volt uh, DeWalt battery holders for my shop. Mm -hmm. And, you, you know, you can go on Amazon, you can order a five pack for 15 bucks, but you can also put a file together in a couple of minutes and get your 3D printer going. And after the first few layers are set uh, and everything looks good, mm -hmm. you, there's no need to, you know, supervise your 3D printer for the whole duration of the print. That so, becomes your employee. Yeah, exactly. Set it and forget it. Um, I met a guy out here who has a 3D printing farm, and right now he's got about 100 units set up, Ender 3 Pros, and he's making um, dirt bike, uh, like brake levers and clutch oh, levers. wow. Yeah, and so he's ma he made his own file. He's mass producing them. Um, he's reinforcing them with a little metal rod that kind of slips in them so they don't bend as much. And then he's wholesaling them out and you can put your brand name on them and sell them in your shop. And yeah. So they're, they're, the possibilities are truly unlimited when it comes to this and filament is relatively cheap. Um, you can pay like, you know, the, that firearm that I made, uh, if I had to buy that new, mm -hmm. that, you know, that pays for all of the materials pays for the 3d printer. So in one project, 
you can cover your overhead. Um, in no me, in no way am I sell, telling uh, on myself like I'm selling firearms or anything. No, of course not. <laughs> of course not. Yeah, that's uh, and that, that that's something that came up in the comments too. Is a lot of mm-hmm. people in in my area are worried about Measure One Fourteen and they want to do the same thing, and it's just. You got, I got to be very clear that this is your right as an individual citizen that you can do in the means of your home. Mm-hmm. Um, but anything outside of that is, you know, federal big boy time. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And we want to avoid that. That's uh, to quote a movie that's federal pound me at pound me in the ass prison time. Yeah. Um, no, that's uh, no good. No is Frio, as my friend Christopher would say. And, you know, about this measure 114, you know, what I find interesting is perhaps some members of, um, you know, the human race here are starting to wake up a little bit. I've said it for a long time on this show. You know how, you know, we're, we're pro people, but especially with uh, with with gay folks, uh, people on the margins, let's say, in the LGBTQ community, particularly were concerned because they were worried that placing firearm ownership at the discretion of state authority would be used against them because they're being discriminated against. And they also felt that police would be less willing to protect them. And they were also worried that this particular law, this measure would make it harder for them to be able to defend themselves against violence. Well, welcome to the revolution, brothers and sisters. I mean, that's, uh, you know, gay armed gays are harder to bash, aren't they? You know, I'm glad there's some awakening in that respect. And the fact of the matter is you don't have to like these individuals. You don't have to agree with their lifestyle. Nobody's asking you to do what they do, but they do have a right to defend themselves and they don't have to, they should not, they ought not have to ask for permission to defend themselves from individuals who hate them. And believe me, there's quite a few, I mean, you're on Twitter, you see this shit. There are some really nasty people out there who are very happy with hating individuals who live a particular different lifestyle, whether you agree with it or not, is not the question. And I'm glad that they're waking up because we've made it a point for the longest time. What is the other one? Armed minorities are hard to oppress. That is the key here. And I'm glad that this particular community, because when we say it, um, they're like, yeah, whatever. We're, we're, we're completely tuned out because they are, they're not interested in listening. They're just you know, there to defend their own biases and prejudice. They're not there to listen, okay? So they're already against the things that we believe in, like individual liberty, sovereignty, and of course that our rights do not come from a piece of paper, that they, they pre-existed paper itself and uh, the written word and the codification of law and rights. But these folks coming forward who are from the margins of society, and that's not a pejorative or a negative, to come forward and say, listen, we have a problem with the cops having a monopoly on whether or not we're going to be able to, to defend ourselves and then relying on them in general. This is a positive step in the right direction. You and you alone are responsible for your safety and the safety of the people that you love and your property. What is the old phrase, Riley? When seconds count, the police are minutes away. Minutes away. Absolutely. You know? I, mean, I think, go ahead, it, go ahead, please. It, it, it's been, um, you know, like in 2020, we had the defund the police movement up here uh, in Multnomah County is the most populous county here in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And they, I think they cut 15 or 17 million from their um, Portland public police. And then measure 114 passes. And now we need to reinstate Multnomah County with approximately $21 million to come up with this program for training and issuing permits and background checks and all that stuff. So the hypocrisy of defunding the police, and now we're going to give them essentially twice as much and give them the power to issue permits at their discretion. Um, you ex- you absolutely hit the nail on the head as people are waking up and kind of seeing the neoliberal policies um, that are getting played out. People, you know, their atten- memory span isn't shorter than we think. They can remember mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. So you're absolutely right. A lot of these communities have stepped up and said, you know, they're uncomfortable with it and they actually support the block of Measure 114. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up, which I thought you would find interesting, 
mm-hmm. is that one of the chief petitioners for this measure was a guy named Reverend Mark, I think it's Knutson from Portland's Augustana Lutheran Church. Um, and from my understanding, hearing some discussions on this, is that when you are the reverend of a church that is also um, a 5013C, mm-hmm. there's certain things you're not allowed to do in the political realm. And so it just seems like uh, it, it's somebody already tried to take a lawsuit to this and it's been thrown out by the attorney general's office because they're were appointed by a democrat governor before she bailed of course yeah so i don't know how much that's going to get looked into but that seems pretty fraudulent to me um i'm curious to know how much uh revenue was used through that church through the 5013c to help get this to the legislative I would be certainly curious to hear that. And of course, you know, this idea of separation of church and state uh, when it's convenient, um, when it's, uh, you know, I guess, um, you know, benefits the, the, the powers that be, but that, that I, they should, ought to be stripped immediately of any kind of protection for involving themselves in this process. And, you know, there are those who will defend this sort of behavior uh, Riley, and they will say, well, you know, this is, you know, there's, why shouldn't they be allowed? Well, because they're not getting uh, fleeced like the rest of us, and they're supposed to stay out of it. If they want a campaign on their own without being affiliated with said religious organization, then by all means, you can do what you want. But when you're doing it from the pulpit, and you're involving your religion, and you're involving your parishioners or congregation members or whatever you want to call them, in the process and trying to uh, to mobilize them to get involved. Let me add, like, this is a great point. I'm glad that you brought this up. Uh, yeah, we're all familiar with David Hogg. I mean, he is just a kid that won't learn how to shut his mouth. Uh, you know, he feels very strongly about one thing because he survived what happened to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas um, on Valentine's Day, I believe in 2018. And he won't shut up. And one time he posted something like, you know, um, how many AR-15s would Jesus Christ own or something like that? And somebody commented, not enough to stop him from being murdered by his own government. You know, um, I, I'm not a religious guy. I, I don't necessarily have a problem with it, but I do have a problem where, you know, Christians will certainly nitpick parts of the Bible where they, they're like, oh, you know, would Jesus do this or would Jesus do that? Okay, well, that, that's fine. First of all, those gospels were written at minimum 70 years after his murder by the government. Let's not forget that Jesus was killed by the state um, at the behest of a religious organization um, who weren't very savvy with what he was teaching. And, and, and also rewritten by multiple governments since then. That, exactly. Uh, by the biggest at the time, uh, would that be with uh, Constantine? And uh, there was the Council of Nicaea who went ahead and said, "We're going to code. We're going to decide what's going in this book and what is it. What what is the the word of the Lord and what ain't cutting the mustard?" Um, with that, which is you know ridiculous, but if people can believe whatever they want to, that's fine. But the idea that as a Christian, like that's why I, I guess I'm not one of them anymore, or haven't been for a long time. This turn the other cheek business. Like, how does that, like, do you really want to be a martyr? Do you want to martyr your own children? And people will use that argument like, oh, well, you know, how, who would Jesus bomb? First of all, I'm sure he wouldn't bomb anybody, but I'm sure he would have benefited from uh, having an AR-15 in the face of Roman aggression. Uh, that would have been nice. And also there's parts in the Bible where it says, you know, he who does not have a, I think it's a purse or a cloak. I forget. It's in the Acts of the Apostles is to take his uh, cloak and buy a sword because you are to defend yourself. Well, yes, the sword of 2000 years ago could be a myriad of weapons that we have at our disposal. And I don't know about you, my dear friend, but I certainly don't want to get sent into a boxcar and sent to a camp or be completely at the mercy of somebody else who has the total monopoly on violence like how are you going to resist like we saw like do you remember what happened in the netherlands a couple of months ago where the farmers were protesting uh this emissions business i believe the police actually shot at them in one there is no there's no recourse you was a it was a 16 year old kid too oh my god that was on that tractor yeah 
what a tragedy what what an unmitigated disaster but uh yeah i i don't and the thing that gets to me too is and i'm glad to see i don't know if you've noticed this as well but African-American folk are starting to purchase more firearms. In fact, I think in 2020 was the biggest jump of Latino and, uh, and African-American, uh, you know, first-time purchases and women first-time uh, purchasing uh, a firearm. This is incredibly, like, we have to, we have to take our victories, right? There's, there's some white pills out there. We should take a dose and realize that uh, we are winning the argument. Uh, the fact that this is this uh, measure 114 is being held up right now is is excellent because at least there is some or are some individuals within this apparatus who are doing their part to say, wait, this is unconstitutional. This isn't right. Um, this is uh, an infringement, even with regard because we live within this ridiculous system and we and that is the way it is and while subverting it is the way to do it right like undermining it like we've said always but at the same time for other folks this is a very positive thing for us that you know even 20 years ago this would be unheard of where you have judges who were siding against like gun control bills or in this case you know the supreme court i think what was it dc versus heller was 2008 so, I mean, we've been taking victories, you know, steadily, you know, um, I don't know about this pistol brace business. I don't know how that's going to work out uh, for the people. Um, I know the GOA is fighting it hard. Uh, if it does make its way to the Supreme Court, we'll see what happens. But I, I, th I think it's uh, I think a lot of people are using it to get clicks on YouTube and get their views. Um, that's I, fair. I think it's I think there's a really strong case for common use. And I think there's a strong case for uh, the ATF going, you know, allowing the sale of this and kind of baiting the American, you know, the American public mm -hmm. legal, legal one day and a felony the next. Yeah, I, I think that's good presidents to get thrown out of court. Uh, uh, my my fingers are crossed. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, you know. I'm I'm one of those 40 million Americans that has a a firearm with a brace on it and I'm not okay. going to be applying for the amnesty stamp that's an admission of guilt in my opinion well put yeah well put do you ever see so, the do you ever see the fud replies to that well good luck you're going to lose your right to vote and it's like shut the fuck up man like what is yeah, you you mu you must not know me dog I don't vote <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, it's uh, uh, there's not a politician in the world that, or, you know, a grown individual now that I'm an adult that should be able to tell me how to live. No. I don't disagree as, at all. As long as you walk with a good moral compass, and I think all of us in this group do, and that's what we promote, mm -hmm. um, you know, walk that line. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And what we've seen is that enforcement will be an issue um including I, again I, I can't stress it enough i'm not taking anybody's side on this one that's for sure but i will take a win when you have local law enforcement particularly i mean of course state police are never they're always going to do what they're told that they're always going to do it that's why they're state police yeah but there's so, there's there's a modicum of accountability at least with your local sheriff and it seems that like for example in illinois they just passed some retarded uh gun control bill we posted and we talked about it um Almost every single county outside of Cook, which is Chicago, and the county north of it have said, no, we're, we're not enforcing any of this horse shit. That's a win. That is a win for the people. And as individuals who are of and for the people, I'll take that victory every single time. And again, enforcement, like um, marijuana laws. This was the glimmer of hope that we should have seen it as it were, as it was back then, excuse me, when we saw states completely defy federal authority and say, you know, no, we're not going to listen to you. We're going to do whatever we want. And they're completely powerless to enforce any kind of federal law when it comes to the states being openly rebellious. I mean, because that's what it is. It's an open, soft rebellion. And mm -hmm. just apply that to firearms. That's completely unenforceable. Like they're not going to, you can't hire enough agents. And I think after a while, even a lot of organizations I mean, outside the ATF, because the ATF will kill you, your dog and your family and set your house on fire. Mm -hmm. uh, they've, they've done it before. They'll do it again. 
Uh, but outside of that, I even think your local sheriff's department is kind of like, all right, well, no, I don't know. Do you think it's the accountability factor for local sheriffs or do you think that there's a different culture among sheriff's deputies versus obviously federal agents of the state or state police? Like, what's your take on that? I, I forgot if I heard it here or if I was listening to something else, but they were kind of explaining how, like, when you have a police department in a big city, that's that's an open hire process. And when you make your way out into these rural communities that have sheriff's offices that uh, they oversee a, a much larger you know, uh, portion of, of square miles uh, that your sheriffs are elected into mm -hmm. office. And so That's if right. they if they want to be, if they want that position, they actually have to treat their community with some dignity, respect. They have to do their job. Um, they have to be accountable or else when it comes up to that next election, they're not going to make it. Uh, and, and your local police department, these young kids that go through their, you know, couple month training and you, you know, hand them a firearm and put them out on the streets of Portland with all these crackheads, mm -hmm. whole, whole different story. There's no accountability. No, that's, uh, that's true. And I feel like uh, if you were to take 10 individuals and poll them and ask them their opinions um, and, and take them from all, let, let's say every kind of demographic, you can maybe make it a hundred, make it a larger pool. And out of a hundred, take them from all, all walks of life, city folk, rural folk, uh, north, south, east, west, whatever, try to get a good blend. I think that the majority opinion would be at least, you know, neutral to favorable when it came to their local sheriff versus, uh, you know, like, you know, city cops, you know, big city cops, uh, state police. Uh, and I think like I really and of course you put it, you know, really well that that is it right there. Like if you are elected and if you fuck around, you're going to find out, you know, and, you know, for better or for worse and again we're not definitely not tonguing the boot of uh authority on this show in this conversation at all but again we're trying to be objective we're trying to there's a silver lining i know there's a lot of black pills in the uh in the freedom movement and uh the freedom community a lot of black pilling and i find myself victim of that regularly but i think we need to take our wins when we get them i think we yeah. need to take a break and understand that we have shifted because if you remember, I know I'm a little bit older, uh, but uh, I remember as a kid, the Republican conservative argument for firearm ownership is hunting. It was always hunting. Oh, well, this is our lifestyle. And, you know, this is, uh, you know, how people feed their families. Listen, that's fine. But look at the argument now. The argument is this isn't about hunting. This is if somebody comes to hurt me. It's no longer hunting shouldn't even came into it's like saying you have a right to fish. Yeah. You have a right to fucking eat, period. And get and, and being able to sustain your life and the life of your of the people that you're responsible for by any means necessary, whether it's a fishing pole or a rifle. With that being said, we've completely changed the discussion. It's no longer about hunting. This is about self-defense and preservation. Uh, of yourself, your family, and of your property. It's that, that's a huge win, a cultural win for us, I would argue, because it's we've we've moved away from this absolutely retarded idea that there needs to be a justification for a weapon in order to hunt game. Well, yeah. no. You know what I'm saying here? Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> when you're using, when you assimilate firearm ownership with, with strictly hunting, um, it's more of a disconnect for people when you ask them, well, should we, should we restrict hunting rights, you know, for these animals out there? And these folks have never gone out and met these animals and know that they need their mm -hmm. numbers pulled down. And so it's easier to pass hunting laws that protect animals than it is to uh, take away gun rights. So I think, you know, maybe back in the day when that was all going on, maybe there was a motion to make gun ownership a soft target by assimilating it to hunting. And, and think, kind of detracting from that yep. pres preservation of defense argument. That's uh, well put. And I agree with that 100%. So, yeah, this is a huge win for us. And we're going to take it and um, continue and, you know, push forward. And the thing is, is, you know, like our friend Michael Malice tells everybody, like, you know, my my rights aren't up for a discussion, let alone a vote, because as soon as I sit down to discuss them with you, I've already lost. We have to push forward on that. There is no compromise. 
There is no, well, what do you need that for? None of your business, what I need it for. And I love hearing that too. Well, what do you need 30 rounds for a drum mag? Jesus Christ, did you see what was happening in 2020? Mm -hmm. Like, have you lost your mind? Of course I need more than goddamn 10 rounds. I mean, this is, again, I have a relative that lives uh, in New Jersey and just hearing about the, the hoops that folks have to jump through in that communist occupied state is absolutely insane to me. <laughs> I mean, asking for permission, like I, I rem my uh, this relative was like, he like did a double take when he was like, you don't need a permit to carry a weapon in Ohio. I'm like, no, no, no. It's that's constitutional carry. He goes, so <laughs> you don't need to do anything. I go, no, no, you don't need to do anything. You just train. You got to train with it, but yeah. you just put it in a holster and conceal it and protect yourself. He goes, wow. I go, yeah, that's called real America. This is called freedom. <laughs> exactly. You know, and if, if I've had some folks chime in and say, well, you know, you're making guns. Why, why do you need them? I say, well, it's the same reason why a, a large majority of our population decided to get the Koof Juber. And it's for, <laughs> it's for, it's, well, they got it to protect themselves and their communities. And mm -hmm. that's, exactly why i promote this uh firearm ownership protect yourself protect your community protect your private property mm -hmm. uh, you wake up every day and hold yourself accountable you work the 80 hours you give your 30 percent to the crown um you know don't let any more be stricken from you yeah there's a uh i think that enough lines have been crossed that drawing the line here is perfectly acceptable and moral oh absolutely so you know. These uh, it's like you said when I'm not even sitting down for the discussion. Like gun rights, are, it's it's this is non-negotiable. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I and it's a it's quite quite frankly it's um astounding uh, that so many individuals still want to say. Well, as soon as I hear, you know, I what is it? What is the old uh, for every? What is the old um, phrase? Excuse me. Everything. Uh, proceeding uh you know the preceded but can be completely and totally ignored hmm. just i would ignore the entire phrase like again like you said we're not here to debate it's not a question nobody's asking for permission and i think the trouble is too is that individuals see it as a uh well the government grants okay first of all the government doesn't grant anything as we've seen since the ratification of the bill of rights and the constitution there's been a steady assault on all of our rights yeah, all yeah. every single one of them and Any, anything but, that you anything that you need a license or a permit for was a, a freedom that you once had that now you need to ask permission for that's correct 100 percent. i mean i couldn't have said it better myself so yeah there is no negotiating and i feel you know i don't know how people don't feel strongly about this uh, for themselves, or perhaps they feel that they're safe enough to rely on, I guess, uh, state authority or the police force or what have you. Now, maybe it's because, you know, my wife is really into uh, <laughs> to crime stuff. And, you know, sometimes I feel it's a little too like like murder porn is a little too porn for me, like it's a little too much. But um, there's pl plenty of instances where I've you know sat in for a couple of these where it's a house next to the highway and just some son of a bitch was walking down it and decided today's the day I'm breaking in and I'm going to kill people in this home. And people didn't have the ability to fight back. It happens now. Does it happen often? Well, I'll tell you what fire doesn't always happen your house isn't going to burn down all the time however smoke detectors and fire extinguishers are also excellent ideas to have you could live your entire life and never have it go off and never have to use that stuff but the day that you need it and you don't have it i don't know that's terrifying and again maybe it's paranoia and if it is paranoia that's fine but no. <clears throat> it's not it's it's in the textbooks and i wish people would read more uh actually open up a book instead of just read articles because <laughs> you know go back to world war ii and the japanese internment camps that we had here in the states um the closest one to me was the puyallup fairgrounds up in washington they actually converted into a japanese internment camp and oh man i was up at a antique store there and they had a they had one of the flyers up for when they enacted that uh, when the president signed the order and just 
you know, it's right there. It's history. Yep. That's why that's why the our Asian Asian Americans are the number one armed demographic in America is because they witnessed it firsthand. Yeah, they know a thing or two because they've seen a thing or two. Uh, yeah. And especially with like Korean Americans, like, you know, the, the whole vote from the rooftops. Um, well, there's a reason why their businesses were largely untouched during the L.A. riots, because they returned fire. Um, and uh, that's I'm, I I'm not saying it's a great world to live in, Riley, but it is the world that we do live in. And absolutely. I uh, will, you got to be prepared, man. Yep. Be prepared for when times get tough or even if they don't. That's what a, a guy I listen to, Jack Spearco, says. You know, Nice. Yeah. Wonderful. So tell me, on a lighthearted side, how is farming going for you in your part of the Pacific Northwest? Hey, it's been good. It, we've, we've been dealing with a lot of rain, but uh, other than that, we just got two pigs off to the butcher last Sunday. Nice. So we had uh, three clients. One of them was buying a whole one, and then the other one was being split between two customers. Very nice. So it's nice to get some some of that pressure off the field, get some pressure off the feed, uh, retain a little bit more money money while it's muddy out. All right. And then back in November, uh, on the 13th, I turned 30, and we processed two of our bigger pigs on my birthday, and that was quite fun. Awesome. That, that, so, that's a hell of a way to celebrate, right? Yeah, it's a good way to celebrate. Actually, remember one of my birthdays and, and, <laughs> and put some really good meat in the freezer, too. So the, the pig okay. variety that we have are they're called Cooney Coonies. OK, and that translates into fat and round. OK, and they were a, they were a breed of pig that almost went extinct back in the 70s. And then there was a breeding operation in the UK that uh, reestablished their population and now they've kind of become a popular homestead pig because they eat a lot of grass so they're oh, no kidding yeah they're like little mini cows that taste like pork it's awesome that's fantastic <laughs> i love to hear about it now are you also able to bypass the egg man uh madness that we are currently embroiled in oh absolutely so i even uh, i went out and threw a little uh dim light in our chicken coop a few months back just to kind of entice them to want to lay more as soon as the sunlight gets down past a point um in the winter time those chickens they're going to retain their energy they don't want to sit on eggs while it's super cold out and so they they don't really start laying until the springtime so when you put that light out there they'll start laying more consistently but yeah we we haven't been dealing with no no egg problems and our eggs are primarily free because we feed them you know, table scraps, we mow bags of grass and dump that in there for them to eat. And they love it. That's awesome. I love to hear it. And I've, I've had farm fresh eggs before, uh, not store bought. And there is a demonstrable difference in flavor between what you buy at the store versus what comes from a farm. Flavor and nutrition. Uh, there's a, a lot of studies being done on the association of riboflavin and how uh, your your mood, like the your brain's ability to control mood swings and stuff like that. So the higher riboflavin count that you have, the less depressed you are or the happy you are, or the more ener energetic your mind feels. So these free range eggs have, you know, it's like 200 times the percent of riboflavin that your store-bought egg does. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's a good fact. I didn't know that. That's yeah. fantastic. Um, so what else is, uh, as far as like any projects coming up or any big uh, news your way, uh, anything at all? Uh, on the recycling front, we we ended the year uh, processing just under 40,000 pounds of polypropylene plastic in the form of little cannabis containers. Mm. Uh, we also started a reuse line of packaging. So we got the state's approval to set up a commercial dishwasher and to start washing and reusing some of this glass packaging and larger plastic packaging. So there's much more or there's much less emissions that go into washing and reusing something than breaking it down and remanufacturing it. So we're trying to create uh, 
the country's first circular economy for cannabis packaging. That's fantastic. And I'm in the middle of writing a grant. You know, I was I was very close to becoming a high school dropout. So my my <laughs> writing my writing abilities aren't the best, uh, but we're trying to get this grant put together, proposal put together, and get it submitted by the 23rd of next month. Uh, and if we can do that, then we're going to try to scale up our operation and try to move into Washington and California. How exciting. I mean, this is really good stuff. And that's, I mean, I, you know, after having the discussion we had about recycling and I appreciate the education that you provided, you know, especially with your boots on the ground experience. Uh, I think that this is just fantastic and that you really ought to be proud of yourself and the work that uh, you're being, you're able to accomplish. That's uh, that's yeah. great. And you know, write, grant writing is a real bitch from what I understand. It is. It is. Um, fortunately, I have some I have some good friends who uh, a little bit smarter than me, a little bit grammatically more proper than me. <laughs> <laughs> so they'll, they'll definitely be proofreading it before we send it off. But yeah, it's uh, it's it, interesting to see. We've had a couple other recycling companies pop up here in the last year. And one of them was actually sued by a, a state-funded trash hauler, waste haulers. Really? Um, so, so yeah, we got to see that whole mafia thing kind of play out. Oh, wow. The, yeah, these trash haulers recognized, well, we're picking up a lot less recycling material because this company called Ridwell popped up and started offering a very, you know, selective service that people bought into. And so it took revenue away from the East County trash haulers. So they went to the, the state EPA and the DEQ and they made up a bunch of bullshit about how these, <laughs> these guys weren't actually recycling plastic. They were just collecting money from the subscription and then taking the stuff to the landfill. And they, they weren't doing that. They're, the Ridwell, their whole facility got audited and approved and the lawsuit got dropped, but it was just interesting to see how the East County waste haulers tried to use the state as the protective bubble. How about and, that? And the strong arm. I, you know what? You learn something new all the time. I'm not surprised. I could say that much, but uh, I'm glad to hear that it's uh, it's working out for you. That um, you know, but also, I guess the updates on you know, the racket that how deep it goes, you know what I mean? Like how, how far it goes down the rabbit hole, as far as like the, like the, like the mafia side of it, kind of like how you said, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a, yeah. You know, maybe one of these days we get together for another recycling topic and we can kind of talk about that because it is a very protected industry and there's a, a lot of cherry picking of material going on to, make money so you know these large municipal state funded trash haulers you know they're they're getting paid by the customer to pick it up they're getting paid by the state they're getting paid for turning in this material that they cherry pick so they make good money i see why they want to have their competition shut down well, what is it? Uh, Rockefeller said the competition is a sin. Well, of course, when you're on that side of the fence, of course it is. But uh, yeah, we'll have to do another one, and we're going to do another one on that because I'm I'm I love to learn about that stuff. It's outside of my wheelhouse, and I'm always up for getting engaged and learning about things that I'm not too familiar with. Are you reading anything in particularly right now? Do you got any books going? You got something that you're educating yourself on? I've uh, been listening to the Richest Man in Babylon again. I throw that on every time to time while I, I do delivery driving. So sometimes I got a long jaunt on the road. Um, that book has kind of instilled a lot of uh, financial knowledge that I use present day. Awesome. Uh, there's a couple really valuable uh, lessons in there and the book, the story, it's all good. I don't know mm -hmm. if you've ever read it or listened to it. Um, well, that's excellent. But I, I think, I think it should be required reading in high school for, all of our youth there's a lot of there are a lot of books that i feel that ought to be uh, re, uh if we're gonna if you're gonna be in school you really ought to learn uh something outside of the scope of what they already have well that's cool 
Um, for anybody's interested, I'm currently reading Human Smoke by uh, Nicholson Baker. It was a book recommendation by the uh, uh, the great thinker of our time, Curtis Yarvin, also known as Mencius Mulbug. Uh, he recommended it. Uh, it's it's about, you know, uh, World War Two and the end of civilization. I guess uh, Nicholson puts it a little bit further than I do. Mine ends in 1918. Uh, I guess uh, this one ends in 45. But that's the lead up from the Treaty of Versailles. And um, basically, it's uh, a lot of different reports, both government officials, newspapers, on the progression towards World War II, including the election of the Nazi party, uh, the Japanese actually killing Chinese in 1933, it's three years before the war truly kicks off between the Japanese and the Chinese. It's very interesting. I'm, I'm really enjoying it and uh, I recommend it to other people. Um, but um, I, have, I have like five books I have going right now. I really need to crack down and just start finishing books one at a time but like i like to bounce back and forth you know what i'm saying like i'm like okay i'm gonna listen to this in the car or when i'm walking the dog but when i'm sitting down i'm gonna read this one you know what i mean and then i got another book upstairs on the night table before bed so i don't know you just got to keep that muscle working you got to keep that brain working but that's cool um where can folks find you and uh check out what you're doing all of your socials all that good stuff hey we're on uh instagram and twitter at Oregon Agorist. And then we just started a YouTube page for our farm activities called Douglas Ridge Farms. So we're trying to get that off the ground. I haven't really been posting much political content over there, just trying to give folks a, a daily insight on what our routine looks like, answer any questions, and hope to inspire somebody to get more connected with the earth. I love it. We'll be sure to include that in the show notes. I can't guarantee that anybody will read them. But we will. It's a, a never-ending battle with the show notes. I stopped putting them in for a while, and I, got, I recently got after our first episode with the separatists that we were covering. I was like, "All right, we're going to try this again. We're going to put some show notes in there, or at least put a description in there." But uh, we'll include that information. Um, anything else that uh, you want to uh, you want to cover before we take off here? Hey, I appreciate the work you guys are doing, keeping on the podcast and keep keep shining that light on the anarchist life. Uh, people who I have conversations with, I meet a lot of people every day. And when I ask them what they think anarchism means, I get a lot of replies where they think it's that, that fiery city burning down and people mm -hmm. looting your stuff. I said, man, anarchy is that you're, you make the decision of which leg you put in your pants in the morning and what pair of pants to put on and what pair of shoes and what you drink. And when nobody's telling you what to do, that's a form of anarchism when you make those decisions and you're accountable to yourself. So yeah, excellent work. Uh, any, any kind of proselytizing about uh, freedom and individualism um, I think is great and at least give them a different perspective apart from what they see on the goddamn news. That's for sure. Um, I, I really appreciate it. Thanks for sticking with us for uh, quite a few years now. Uh, and uh, we're going to keep it up. You keep it up. We're going to have you back. We're going to, I, like I said, the recycling stuff I find fascinating because I think on the surface, I don't think anybody truly has an idea what's going on and you having firsthand experience is a huge benefit to folks listening so that they can, you know, really be educated on the subject. I think it's fantastic. We really appreciate you and uh, your friendship. Thank you very much for being on the show uh, as usual. And I'll make sure that uh, everything, like I said, this will be in the notes, folks. Now you have to read the notes in order to, you know, to get in there, but we appreciate it. If you, uh, if you check out Douglas Ridge farms on YouTube and of course uh, follow on the Instagram and the Twitter, the handle will be in there. Uh, but uh, thank you once again for being on the show. Thanks, Jay. Sure thing. Now, before I close out, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank our sponsors, GorseNexus.com, Vandalay Industries, iPaint Akron, where all accents are happy accents, Team Mandalore keeps cycling very weird, and Ray Faba, fine art and design from the Great Lakes, our new logo. She, in fact, did that. And thank you to her, of course. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, no show would be complete without you know what. Uh, let's say you are living in the Pacific Northwest. You know, the rain's hitting you pretty hard. You're getting, you know, wet little bit uh, damp in the pants ladies and gentlemen please do yourself a favor use medicine for your body todd's gay soap from akron apothecary is here to solve your problems why is that because your skin is the largest 
organ that you have on your body, okay? With that being said, I want you to take care of that organ and also the dangly bits that come off. Maybe you've got some saggy man boobs. Maybe you got yourself some fat folds. Maybe you got yourself some undercarriage issues. The dung ditch, like my, my friend Christopher says, please wash your ass, your tackle box, everything with Todd's Gay Soap. Valentine's Day is coming up. You want to smell sweet for that special someone. Do not hesitate. Get your ass some of that good gay soap, precious soft gay hands to your supple body parts. Todd's Gay Soap is soap for that ass. Thank you very much, my friend. We will talk to you soon. Thanks, Jay. All right, later.